Welcome to Left at the Door. This is a podcast and vlog where we are a group of friends that bring together our experiences, the people and thought patterns that we left at the door in order to love and grow, succeed and survive. These are our stories. I'm Cassie Yoder. I'm Jesse Porter. I'm Andrea McGee. I'm Sarah Easter. And this is Left at the Door. So today we're going to talk to one of our co-hosts, Andrea McGee, about what she's left at the door. So one of the things I left at the door was assumption. Um, and for a viewer listener, uh, they probably wanted to know where the accent come from. So I'm from Guyana, South America, and it's like north of Brazil. So Guyana was a third world country. And uh, I came to the United States when I was 16 going on 17. One of the things I assumed before coming to the United States was that everything was perfect. And uh, yeah. so I've had it all in my head how it's like everything is like in a movie you see. And um, when I came, it my assumption was not what I assume it to be. It was different. I realized that I had to work really hard for it. Um, and there's a lot of things that I realized culture wise was different. And so that was really hard for me at the beginning. Andrea, what do most people assume about you? So most people assume about me, my ethnicity. And what they don't understand is that I am not um, Hispanic. I'm not African-American. I'm actually Indian, but West Indian because my country is part of the Caribbean. Not only is it South American, but we're the only English speaking country in South America. And we're more associated with the Caribbean than we are with America. And so um, a lot of people tend to think, assume that, oh, well, she's African-American, she's Hispanic. And they don't just ask me this. And I feel like if people take the time to come up and ask me, I would be willing to tell them and educate them, hey, this is where I'm from. This is my nationality. Um, and uh, I rather them instead of assume, just ask. You know, I think, Andrea, one of the things I think about is you and I originally met when I was a professor at Richland Community College in Decatur, mm -hmm. Illinois, and I was teaching marketing and you came into one of my classes. And I remember having you as a student and it was like, it took a really, I mean, I don't know, maybe mid semester before I think we even had the conversation about where you were from. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's something that I learned quickly on that. It's like, at the end of the day, we're all humans. And so to just assume instantaneously that maybe um, the minute that a conversation starts, that it starts with, okay, so what race are you? Or mm -hmm. the assumption of, oh, you're really tan. So uh, are you Hispanic? You know, mm -hmm. like, I think it's a really weird way to start a friendship or a conversation or any relationship in general. Like we would never do that. If I saw another Caucasian person, I wouldn't be like, oh, so you must be Irish, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's just never how you would start a conversation. So I asked it like, there's probably ways that you've had to cope with these type of assumptions that have been made about you. I have a friend from Guatemala, his parents immigrated here, and I also have a friend from Mexico and his parents immigrated here. And I found that with both of those friendships, I let the friendship form first. Mm -hmm. I went to concerts with them because 
one of them was heavily in the music scene and the other one I served with and we built that relationship first and like the one that's from Guatemala I'm super close with him and we've sat on his front porch until two o'clock in the morning you know talking about things that his family went through to get here but it took a while into that friendship to get to that point because I didn't just go up to him and be like, hey, where are you from? (laughs) I was like, let's be friends. Let's have this close-knit relationship first and get to know each other as human beings first. And then I want to learn from you and I want to learn about your culture Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's important to recognize the human aspect first. And I think uh, a lot of people assume you by your skin color. So like Cassie mentioned, you're Caucasian, you're from Ireland. No, you can, well, you can be. You And the, there is a, a lot of things that people don't understand. Just because someone's skin color is that doesn't mean they're actually from America or another country. doesn't mean they're African-American. doesn't mean they're Hispanic. doesn't mean they're Indian. There could be anything. Um, I've had people who are Caucasian that are tanner than I am, but you're not going to go say, hey, where are you from? Because you're really tan. But no, I'm United States. I'm actually Caucasian. No, you're not. And, and that's a misconception that people have. Another thing they assume is your accent. So now my mother-in-law, Beverly, at work, she has an accent, but she's actually born in Decatur, Illinois, in the U.S. She's a U.S. born. The thing is, is she has a speech impediment. She cannot pronounce her R. Mm-hmm. So now you have that accent. So you would never assume people always tell her, no, you're not from Decatur, Illinois. They just assume that they she's from They just else. assume. Yeah. And the thing that surprised me the most is people are in denial. They, you're telling them, yes, I am. They're telling you, no, you're not. And, and that's the thing. It's like, I feel like a lot of people need, if you tell someone something, then you go with it. It, it is what it is. That denial gets me every time because I had a roommate in college. Her grandma came here from North Korea and um, her dad is white and her mom is Korean from her grandma. Mm-hmm. And um, she looks primarily white, but she does look Korean. But it takes her telling somebody to be like, oh, oh, yeah, you do look Korean, you know. Mm. And most of the time she gets the response, you're not Korean. And it's like, who are you mm-hmm. to tell her where yeah. grandma yes. came from? Yes. Well, and when you start a conversation or a relationship mm-hmm. with that tone, what you're telling the person that you're talking to is that this is what's important to me. Mm-hmm. I are the future of our relationship is going to depend on your answer to this. Mm-hmm. And that's why I would assume people of color or people with accents or people that look different get defensive about that Mm -hmm. because now we are approaching them and putting value on that instead of their humanness. Right. So this is doorstop where things maybe got wedged in the door. They didn't get left behind. They didn't come all the way through. So it's stuff that we rediscuss. So we're talking a little bit with Andrea and her episode. Really, this overall thing is dealing with assumptions. And maybe in a lot of ways, you guys have some similar connections 
because your dad was an immigrant and the way that you grew up. Tell us a little bit about that because there yeah. is a lot of commonality, I feel like, between the two of you. There is and there isn't. Um, I can't imagine immigrating to a new country at the age that she did. Was she 17? Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Um, I was actually very, very small whenever we immigrated here. So my dad is actually from Zaire, which is the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and my mom met both working at the Baha'i World Center in Haifa, Israel. Then they got married. Then they had me. And then we moved to France for a little bit. And then we moved here to America. So America is basically like all I've known for like just how I live. Um, But we've been lucky enough to travel. That's what I was going to say, because you have family everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) So, which is, that's really tough to be like, oh, I think I'm just going to go to France. Yeah. This is my aunt. Yeah, people are like, you must have a lot of money. Ha, no, I have great family who loves me very much. (laughs) Just go sleep on a couch. Yeah, literally. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is, and I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways, some of the things that Andrea has brought up really come down to her perception of how maybe it's through books, maybe it's through television, or maybe just the stories of how people talk about America, that she really thought that it would be this like welcome with open arms. It would be like white picket fences. Um, But then it was kind of a harsh reality in a lot of ways, which was incredibly heartbreaking. I think definitely the media paints the perfect picture of what America is. I think it's what America aspires to be. I think we're going about it not exactly in the correct way. Um, But also, in a way, we are better in different aspects than a lot of countries, Mm -hmm. but we are worse than some other countries as well. but I think hopefully we can start moving in the right direction to make it exactly what we want America to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you brought up a really good point because I know like I have friends that are overseas and they through work, have, it has brought them over there. And they talk about where there is just at any given restaurant, they'll sit down and it'll be someone from Switzerland and someone yeah. from Japan and someone, all these different people. And they're, you know, whether they're on holiday or whether everybody is just working because their jobs have brought them. But there is just such a variety of individuals. And I think that in many ways, we have the ability here in America to be more open minded and to be more accepting because there's so much that we can get and so much that we can learn from other countries and from other cultures. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's really important for people, no matter what your age, even if you're an adult to, you know, even if you can't travel if you meet someone who speaks a different language or if you meet someone with a different culture, you know, be their friend, talk to them, learn something like go get coffee, something, and just absorb all of this knowledge from different places because it's intriguing whether you agree with it or not, whether you want to live like that or not, that's okay. But hearing about it just really opens your eyes to how things really are. Yeah. And you're, I mean, ultimately it's like, person first, but mm-hmm. the person first Absolutely. before Always. like either the differences or the, oh, I noticed you have a, you know, an accent right. or, oh my gosh, your skin color. So where are you from? Yeah. I think that that is kind of the assumptions that she's talking about. Yeah. Even some of those experiences, like running into work or people that maybe ass- even another person assumed, oh, well, she is this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that probably, I know it's not probably, I know that it's not something that we as Caucasian people deal with. Like, we don't have somebody come up and be like, so are you from Ireland or are you from Switzerland? Like, yeah. that conversation never happens. It's just, oh, well, that's an American person. I get what are you a lot. It's very consistent. I can't just be, you know, brown. What's your response, though? Are you just like, I'm a human? Um, I, 
I, I ask what they mean because I'm usually really thrown off by it because they're like, what are you? Well, first of all, does it make me more attractive if I tell you that my dad wasn't from here and that I'm not just mixed or not just black because then we're going to have a problem because mm-hmm. we've had that, you know, people, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but like colorism where there is a stereotype of black girls not being beautiful and the darker you are, the less desirable you are, which is bullshit, you know? And, um, I saw a lot of that in high school where, oh, she's just too dark. She'd be pretty if she was light skinned. And I just remember getting into arguments with people about that because I mean, honestly, how dare it's they, you so know? Yeah, it is. So hair whatever. Is another thing. And yes. Hair. You on social media post about stuff like that too. Yeah. And I think that's important to like shed light on things. Definitely. Um, that there is a lot of different varieties of not only skin color and there's different shades, but there's also different hair types. Yeah. And that's another huge piece to that as well. That it's like, you're only pretty if there's, if, yeah. if A, then B, and then maybe this. Like, yeah. You know, and that's just not the way that that's just not how humans are. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely like when people ask, what are you? I just, I, honestly never know how to answer I prefer like you to just ask me like you know where's your dad from or your name is so interesting what language is it you know stuff like that as opposed to like what are you Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I don't know like does it matter yeah you know from a marketing firm perspective I have a lot of clients that are Amish Mm -hmm. and you know over the years just being surrounded by that like it's just such second nature in so many ways and I, I know that so many of them love talking about their culture and they love talking about their traditions. And from a tourism standpoint, because that's primarily a lot of those businesses, yeah. you know, or their traffic, even if they're furniture makers or, or whatnot, many of the tourists come through and they kind of spend a couple days and then they go pick out furniture, yeah. go do some sightseeing. But long story short, in so many ways, um, I have one of the gentlemen that I'm really close to and Joseph always says, you know, I can always tell when somebody's like staring at me, like, <laughs> they're thinking, they're wanting to ask yeah. a question. And I don't know, maybe it's the difference. And he's a little bit older mm-hmm. and him being a male. But so he goes, I usually just say, tell me what you're thinking. Like, what oh. are you wanting to ask? You know? Yeah. And he goes, I love being asked, why do you have a beard? You know, or mm-hmm. why does my son who's like 17, why does he not have a beard? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say this, but I think that is so different because mm-hmm. I think with a beard, you can control that. You can mm-hmm. take it off. Yeah. You can not have one, you know, a skin color. You wake mm-hmm. up every single day. That's what you are. Yes. And so you can't just one day decide not to, uh, you know, have a beard, mm-hmm. you know, you can't decide one day to not be brown, yes. you know, and clothing's the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, that's, those are things that are transitional. Those are things yeah. that can change. And, you know, and I think that everything, there's different reasoning behind all of those things. Yes. And so, but that is a really good point. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I think that he probably feels a little more okay with, what are you thinking? As opposed to if someone is staring at my friend who's black and I see them, I am not going to say, what are you thinking? I'm going to watch and see if I can see on their face what they're thinking because generally they're staring for a reason and sometimes mm-hmm. it's not a great one. And sometimes it's not good to start those yeah. conversations. It's a little bit different. It, it's not a little bit. It's a very different environment yeah. in those types of situations. I mean, yeah. I've been around like my friends who are black, who are just beautiful and people have come up and they've been like, is that your real hair? And I think that is so insulting because it goes with the stereotypes that are just kind of spread through media, mm-hmm. spread through just you know, everything. Um, and so I think it is really important to kind of stand up 
for injustices or to injustices right. um, whenever you hear them or whenever they're talked around okay. you. So let me ask you this, Kabeji. Like, especially given the the nature of you work in a school system, so you are constantly around little kids. Yeah like growing thoughts, big questions. But then I feel like in many ways you have such a broad group of friends. Like, why do you think <laughs> that being inclusive and, and really like, I guess in a lot of ways, it's like that saying, um, like the more the merrier. Yeah. Like, why do you think that's important though? Um, I know what it feels like to be alone. Mm-hmm. I know what it feels like for people to not want to be around you or not want to talk to you or to make fun of you. And it does not feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know how it makes you feel like your life is worth nothing. And I never want anyone to ever feel like that Mm -hmm. people have so much to offer and you just have to give them a chance and you know sometimes friendships don't work out but you've had that time together and I mean I have a friend who we were best friends for three years and you know she tells me all the time that I was the first person to ever talk to her in high school no one would talk to her no one would sit with her at lunch and I one day just went over to her and told her to pick up her tray and come sit with me and I think about that because I don't remember that but she did And, you know, my mom and my dad always pushed to always love everybody Mm -hmm. and make sure everyone felt included. And so even though I don't remember it, I made a difference. And that feels really good to know I made a difference. And we were very close for three years. We had a falling out over something really stupid. Then we talked about it. We're fine again. (laughs) But it's just uh, interesting, you know. Well, I think what you're speaking to is kind of like that quote that talks about you may not remember what was said yeah, and you may not remember what was done to you, but you remember how you felt. Absolutely. You know? And, and I, like, I think that that Maya Angelou quote, which that's obviously not verbatim, but <laughs> in general, it really is true though. Like, yeah. like you said, you don't remember saying those things to her, but right. you remember inclu- she, she remembers how it felt to be included. Yeah. And I think that in a lot of ways, the way that um, the system is set up and the way that many people view immigrants or officially non-Americans is really kind of putting this wedge between all of our different cultures to the point that we're really missing out on so many things from not just from, you know, an educational standpoint and learning about other people and how other people live and what they can bring to the richness that they can bring to our lives, but just from a fundamental human aspect. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I think about how, um, you know, I grew up in a small town, has 5,000 people, predominantly Caucasian, but for Jack, he is in a different school system. And so he is and has been accustomed with so many different cultures. So for him, I think that it was just like, that is normal for him. Yeah. We didn't get exposed to it till basically college. You know, that was the first time that we started, you know, hanging out and going to other people's houses. And, um, you know, that person being like, oh, you know, we're Jewish. We're doing yeah. this this week or try this food. This is what my mom always made. And so that was such a unique experience. But I didn't get it till I was almost 18. And you made that choice to be inclusive and accepting mm-hmm. and to be open to new friendships, whether they were like you or not. And I think that's really important. And that's another thing that we have to think about is how you were raised. Mm -hmm. Um, Because some people are raised that if someone's not like you, you cannot talk to them. You cannot be around them. Nothing. It's like different Um, is scary. Exactly. But whenever you're an adult and you start to make those choices for yourself, um, I think it's really beautiful to see people who grew up in households like that to like 
you know, make their way out and uh, see the world and yeah. realize that there's more than what they're used to. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Yeah. So I think that this has really touched upon a lot of Andrea's points when it comes to the assumptions and yeah. like the different lifestyles. And we'll get back to the episode and you can see the rest of Andrea and her experiences with how she left assumption at the door. Hi, I'm Sarah and I'm the owner of Bad Love Creative Co. I'm a photographer that services both Central Illinois and Chicago areas. This year has been incredibly difficult for me. I've had lots of cancellations due to shutdown. Prairie Commons Business Collective has helped me bring awareness to my clients. The marketing has let people know that I'm still here and I'm taking clients. I'm taking social distancing measures and that is how my photo shoots go. Prairie Commons Business Collective has really helped get more clients and to reach new people. One of the things I love most about Prairie Commons Business Collective is that there's a place for everybody, which is something I value most. It's a community of people of all business types. So whether you're a crafter or a photographer like me or even a furniture maker, there's a place for you. May your day be box stores have nothing on our craftsmanship handcrafted amish furniture and custom cabinetry if you can envision it we can build it learn more at prairiecommonscollective.com and what viewers and listeners may not realize is that is that you're an american citizen and that whole process i'm sure that that process in and of itself came with so many assumptions, either for you or for other people. Like, talk to us a little bit about that and what that was like going through. So when I became an American citizen, first of all, like I said, I um, came to the United States uh, when I was uh, 16 going on to 17. And so I actually came on a student visa. And while I was studying, I met my ex-husband, Nathan, true mutual friend, and we dated for a couple of years and decided to get married. So now the status of my visa changed. So I'm applying for my permanent residence card because I'm now married in a United States citizen. One of the biggest assumptions that people have is that when you automatically marry a United States citizen, you become one, but mm-hmm. that's not the case. There's a process in this. And uh, believe it or not, the process for applying for a green card is very difficult. Mm -hmm. It is a lot of paperwork involved. So with my status, I was fortunate enough that it wasn't as complex as some people have. Now, in the process, and I've heard stories about this, where immigration officer actually showed up at your door to make sure that you're marrying for legal reasons. 
And that wasn't the case for me, but they did during the process, they did ask us both questions to make sure that we know each other. We're marrying for the right reason. And for our viewers and listeners who probably are uh, looking or listening, um, no, I did not marry him for a green card. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions. And I will tell you this and why. Um, so that's the assumption. That's the assumption, yeah. people. So. Technically, I came to the U.S. with some missionary people. Um, they're my American family. They live in Monticello, Illinois. They're the winders. Um, and we know each other since I was a little girl. So I kind of grew up with them and I came back to the United States. Because they them. did missionary work, And right? they, they were, yeah, they did yeah. missionary work in Guyana for several years. And, you know, we grew a bond and um, I have a, technically I'm the only child, but because of them, I have a sister and a brother, but I'm more close to my sister than I am with my brother and Danielle. Um, she's just like any other blood sister, except we're technically not related. And that's what's great about this friendship, this relationship that her and I have. So I came on a student visa. Like I said earlier, I met my ex-husband Nathan and I had applied because my status changed. So I applied for my green card. Um, later down, uh, things didn't work out, obviously. That's why I said ex-husband. Mm -hmm. So I'm remarried, but I decided later that I'm going to apply for my natural citizenship. When you realized that you were splitting up, what was the process at that point? Since your status changed when you got married, what happens when you get divorced? So because uh, I was divorced, nothing has changed with my status being a residence. Um, it still maintained the same because I still carry the same legal last name as is. I did not change that until I got remarried to Stephen, my now husband. Um, however, there is a time period, um, for your resident card there. I don't remember how long it is, but I think it might be five years until you have, until it expired. You can choose to renew it or you can choose to become a United States citizen. And one of the things, um, for me and my personal experience is that, Becoming a naturalized citizenship, the paperwork was less stressful than the paperwork for the permanent resident. And here is why to that. With the permanent residence, you have to prove that you're wanting to become a resident of the United States. You have to have all these documents. I even joke about they need my blood work. <laughs> what next? They need my DNA. Believe it or not, I did have to take blood work. Wow. I did have to get shots like your TB shot, techno shot. And there was a lot of involved, a lot of paperwork um, given to them. So now by applying for a citizenship, they still had that information. That's where a lot of people have the misconception about uh, marrying a United States citizen. And the like, again, I'm going to go back to this just a little bit because uh, a little a lot of people assume that I married Nathan for a green card. Well, that's not the case. And I will tell you why. My grandma immigrated to the United States through my uncle Michael. Um, this was in the 80s. So my grandma was able to sponsor her children and then her children, which is my mom, Barbara. She was able to sponsor me. 
But at that time, I'm already in the United States and I already was able to maintain a status and get my permanent residence. So my mom, fortunately enough, did not sponsor me. But again, everybody assumed that I marry an American citizen for my green card. But again, this is where the chain immigration came from. And I'm actually proud to say, and if our viewers and listeners are listening to this, I'm actually proud of this because a lot of people have misconception of chain immigration. A lot of people don't understand it. At one point, we we're all immigrants somewhere or another, our ancestor settled here in the United States. And that's how come immigration began. We start migrating, we start bringing our families and our friends over to the United States. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is that currently we do have an immigrant in the United States, the White House. We do have an immigrant in the White House and that's our first lady. And um, she too uh, did chain immigration and a lot of people do not realize this. And I think it's great to point this out because at currently it's a big issue in the United States of America and people are not understanding when you start saying something, you need to look in the mirror, you need to look at the picture and you need to think before you say something because uh, like our first lady, she's an immigrant, she did chain immigration, but yet you're trying to deny and, and that's not a good message we're sending. You know, I think that one of the things I was I was thinking about is um, sometimes people that are ignorant will say things like, well, it's just so easy to become an American citizen. You know, you mm -hmm. you just you, you get yourself over here and they'll just get, they'll let anybody become an American citizen. But I'd go back to what you said. Mm -hmm. And that's like, ultimately, we are all immigrants. It was really interesting because we did 23 and me. And so we knew that we had the Irish and we knew that we had Scottish, but then we started learning about other, you know, um, you know, ancestors in different locations that we migrated from and had family from. So I do think it is very interesting because you have put so much information out there that there's this assumption that it's like, you just raise your hand and you're like, oh, I would like to become American citizen. And they're like, oh, well here. And it's not that case. It was really trying for you to yeah, do. It, it is. And uh, a lot of people don't understand there is a fee involved. Mm -hmm. If you take the test um, and you fail it, you do have to retake that test. You do have to pay that fee all over again. So, there is, I'm laughing, but I'm actually being serious about this. There is a lot. So for those people who are not able to pass that test, it is kind of heartbreaking to see that because of all that work effort uh, that is involved in the process. It's not as a, a piece of cake that you put on the table and, oh, here you go. It's all for you. It's nothing like that. So when it comes to immigration process, a lot of people are not educated on the, um, the system. And uh, I feel that it's unfortunate uh, for those people because I feel like if you're going to make assumption on a person and their immigrant status, maybe you ought to take the time to look into what is it to become a United States? What's involved in this? Why is it? It is not that easy and simple as people assume it is. So where could we get more information about becoming a citizen? 
So the process to get more information to become a U.S. citizen, um, you can go on their website, uh, the USCIS.gov for viewers or listeners um, out there. Uh, you may know somebody or you may, yourself may need in that information. I recommend going, um, make sure you do research. And if you need to get a lawyer, I recommend doing so. This has all been really good information because I think that your um, process and going through all this, I know that there's viewers that have never, you know, really even had maybe somebody in their life that they could ask these questions to, mm -hmm. you know, if you have the type of community that maybe everybody looks like you and mm -hmm. everybody, you know, mm -hmm. you, you don't have these type of experiences. And sometimes it takes college or work to start meeting other people. So I think that it's really great for you to bring this to everybody's attention that it's something that you left at the door assumptions. Mm -hmm. And that I think it's something that we can all learn from of leaving those assumptions at the door of people who don't look like us and don't sound like us. And I think it's just been really great information for everybody. Thanks for sharing your story with us, Thank Andrea. You. Yeah. If you want more information on Andrea or also about the process that she talked about of becoming a U.S. citizen, we've got some of that information for you. You can find more information on Left at the Door on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to see our cute little faces, you can always turn into the YouTube channel and you can watch us there. So thank you for watching. This has been Left, Left at, at the, the Door. door.